Welcome back to another episode of the Velo Chumps podcast. We have the whole crew back with us tonight. Randy Nicewanger, how you doing? Hey, Eric, how are you? Good to be here. Yep. Two two in a row. Is it two in a row for you or, or three I, or I think two? I actually think I uh, I think I did do two in a row now. Sweet. Yeah. It's like Mike me riding Green. two days yeah, in a row. Yeah, I know. You do more more podcasts than bike rides. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Mike Green, how are you feeling? I'm feeling awesome. Getting ready for our the the December century, the decentury is this Saturday, and uh, heck yeah, looking forward to our Christmas ride in a couple weeks. Ryan Brainer, Ryan Brainer, what's up? It's been a minute for me because we didn't do one last week, and then you guys did the Andrea one, and I wanted to say yep. good job. I really enjoyed listening to that Andrea one, so good job, Randy and Eric. Thanks. That was a good episode. So. Chad Locker, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. That that was a fantastic part. You should like not have the rest of us on more often and get real guests. Like we should make that a yeah. thing. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is, so that's who we have on the show tonight. Unfortunately, none of us are professional racers or doctors or anyone interesting. So you're just stuck with us tonight. So, you know, but we do have a couple cool topics or we do have a few topics for the chumps out there. So... Our, our favorite platform, Strava, released a new feature. We're going to talk about that. We have a late addition to the um, indoor trainer, or a late entry. We have a late entry to the indoor trainer market. I think it's late because it's already trainer season, and a new one just came out. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we have a chain lube calculator that's been going around the internet. Just a quick little hit on that because I think it's relevant for chumps. And then we have a few... Uh, Bike philosophy topics that our resident bike philosopher Chad might lead us down some uh, discussions here that could be could be interesting. But you know, to get this started, guys, I really want to talk about the big news since our last podcast. The big news is that Strava, which we have mentioned and talked about a few times on this pod before, has introduced their newest in their newest update direct messaging. How do we feel about this, guys? Anyone want to jump off on their opinion about Strava direct messaging? Uh, I love it. Uh, you love it. I mean, <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't even really used it, and I don't necessarily have some strong plans or thoughts to use it. But I think, you know, and for myself, I'm not a huge fan of Facebook. So if you have a quite a, a big social following on Strava, I think it's easier and a little bit more uh, acceptable to start to message people through there as opposed to sending them a friend request. And then now you're on a different level and uh, now you're going to start messaging them there. And maybe you're seeing family stuff that you're not necessarily interested in. You just want to ride with this person. So or <laughs> so, vice versa. Right. She you don't want to see posts about animals, Mike. It's just, you know, you just want to talk about the right. Right, right. exactly. Well, Mike Mike brings up a good point, and that's like I don't ever post anything on Facebook. And um, part of it's because the, you know, family and stuff doesn't really even understand what we do. So the nice thing about the Strava chat feature is it's already, you know, like like-minded people that don't think you're weird because you walk around in Lycra and ride your bike for five hours on Saturdays. So I like the fact that there's already like a bit of, natural selection and it's already going to be people that um you know understand what you do and why you do it yeah well i i think you're weird but not because you walk around in lycra so it, that's fair it, it solves it solves kind of like the key issue with strava which i think 
it kind of gets, dates back to how I met all you guys, right? Middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other than other than Mike, I, I didn't know any of you guys. So how do you meet somebody up on Strava for the first time? First, you're like you sent a comment to them in a public forum, which I guess is okay. But then it's like, hey, let's go meet up. And then I got to post my phone number or email like in a public forum. It's like, definitely don't want to do that. Yep. So it got very awkward. So I've actually wanted this DM feature for a, a long time now, right? At mm-hmm. least five years. So it's kind of like, well, great. I'm glad now that we're all paying a premium fee or have been paying for some time, we can at least finally get a hold of somebody like, hey, you can eat, I guess it solves it now, right? You can DM them in the app and never have to hand out your info until you actually meet the person face to face somewhere. Hopefully they're not creepy or whatnot. Um, but if you do want to give them your cell phone number, at least you don't have to hand it out to the whole world, like in a chat message. And, yeah. and then get spammed for the next week for whatever horrible product is being hawked on the internet. So, so Chad, that's a really good point. Do you remember that time we went on that uh, day in hell ride and we met uh, Rick and JP and uh, we, we just met up with them on the middle of the ride and we started talking to him. Remember he had the um, rival access before it came out because he works for SRAM. Yeah. Remember that? It was, it was really cool because we're a bunch of bike nerds. We're like, eh, we know what that is. <laughs> yeah. And we're all talking about it and he's giving us all the features and everything. Yeah. And, and that was a pretty cool ride. you remember? And um, Rick took a bunch of pictures and he wanted to send them to me. And we were like awkwardly trying to figure out a way via Strava comments that he could send these pictures to me without us, either of us revealing our phone number or any other personal information. And I don't even remember how we ended up doing it, but he sent him the pictures to some other wrong person first. And the other person was like, Hey, I don't know who you are, but these are pretty cool pictures. Thanks for sending them. (laughs) So it was like a giant, huge ordeal to try to send these pictures. And you're right. This particular feature within Strava does solve that. So I think that is pretty cool that you can, um, you know, get in touch with people both for things like that, like people you met on a ride and you want to share something, pictures or whatever, or if you just want to set up other rides like you talked about. I do think there's definitely a benefit there. So I think, Ryan, you uh, you were about to jump in with another point about this. Uh, yeah, I was just going to echo what Chad said. And a couple of times when I met up with people, it was you'd go out of Strava into Facebook Messenger, find the person, and then share information so you could meet up for rides and then get back into Strava. And so this just solves that headache. Yeah. So I think in general, we feel like this is a relatively good idea. There's some definitely value to this, right? Yeah. Um, what I found interesting is that in the the rest of the world, there was a lot, a lot. I don't know if you noticed this on Instagram. All the memers were talking about how everyone can set up dates and flirt and be creepy and do all of those types of things on Strava. Now it's like one more, uh, one more platform for that to, you know, stalk people and, and whatnot. Um, the New York times actually wrote an article about how Strava is now trying to become a dating app. So that was like the angle with these things. So I did reach out to two of our friends and just, you know, female friends to try to get their insight. And here's the part that I found. Now, ultimately, they they both were okay with you, this this did, particular. Did you feature. contact them through Strava? <laughs> I, well, wait, let me tell the story. Let me tell the story. This is the fascinating part because I did not reach out to them on Strava because I am friends with them and have their contact information. And I did reach out to them, but I did say, "Hey, do you know that Strava has a DM feature?" And they were like. Both of them, like, what do you mean a DM feature? Because I don't think immediately you think of Strava as a platform where you're going to message people. You know, they were, I, I don't think they realized what it was off the top of my head because they weren't associating Strava with that. 
I said, hold on a second. And then I went into Strava, sent them a DM, and they were like, oh, I see. You can message on Strava. And one of them, the first thing she said was, can you block people? So her immediate thing was, can you block people? So I said, you can't directly block people, but you can set change your settings to either no messages at all or just mutual people that you follow back. They follow you and you follow them back. But the default what? setting for me anyway, the default setting for me was if the person follows you, they can message you. I don't know how if that was the default for you guys. That's how it was for me. So that that border is line that borderline's on creepy, right? Because I right. mean if you do a flyby and that person has a public profile, Correct. you befriend them and then you can DM them. So if you right. just do a flyby on somebody, you're like, oh wow, and I'm gonna speak from a guy's perspective, right? Well, she's really attractive or she looks attractive on the bike quickly as I fly by her, then I could I can I can basically stalk her from right. that from the Strava DM app or, or functionality. Ooh, that's scary. Yeah. Flyby right. and then flyby is a strong word, Randy. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's a good point, Randy. It's a good point. Because and here's the thing, neither of these women I talked to even knew this was a thing and even knew that it was something that they could change the settings to disable. So I just went in and just straight up sent them a message. They both know now that they have the ability to get direct messages and that they could change the settings if they need to. But I do feel like Strava a little bit botched the rollout in the sense that they could have made it default lockdown and tell you you have to opt in similar to the flyby feature. Because now, like you said, Randy, if people don't know about this, if they're not a heavy Strava user and they're not following it in the news, there was no way for them to know about that. And I was easily be able, able to send both of them a message. So that creates potentially some some risk, like you were mentioning. But I actually, one of the, the women actually made a really interesting point that I hadn't thought of. And it was similar to what you kind of just mentioned, Ryan. It was that, oh, well, you see someone on Strava, you can't get in touch with them. So now you go and search them out on Facebook and then try to get in touch with them there or another platform. And then what she said was, you know, she gave an example that someone was trying to follow her on Strava because she doesn't have her account set up public. So the person was trying to follow her and she didn't know who he was. So she's like, well, I'm not going to just accept this request. And then he went on to Facebook and also tried to um, contact her there. And then she got creeped out because she felt like, hey, this person's stalking me because now it's multiple platforms that this person's trying to reach me on. So she said it's actually good that if someone on Strava is trying to reach you, she feels that that's within the same platform. It's It creates less of a, a creepiness factor maybe because they're reaching out to you on one platform. It's contained. It's mostly – it's likely related to somehow athletic endeavors because it's Strava versus if you get someone that – you know, is checking, is trying to follow you on Strava and then they reach out to you on Facebook Messenger and then they check out your LinkedIn profile or whatever, whatever, that can seem more creepy as well. So there's two sides to it, I guess, that the keeping it within Strava seems interesting. But I do feel like personally that Strava could have done a little bit better with the default privacy settings and making it a little bit less 
easy and making it more of an opt-in situation. Then anyway, that's my take. So anyway, I didn't know it was a thing until you set up the group chat. And you're like, hey, look, we can all have each other. In yeah. I'm like, what? This is a thing now. This is this is great. <laughs> this is wonderful. But you said it it works with the follow. So I I think I've got my privacy settings set such that maybe this is default in Strava. For someone to follow me, I have to like give them the permission. Right. Because correct. I, yeah. If I've ridden with you and we've talked and had a connection, fine, I'll follow you. But I just I don't want a feed of two hundred some people that I don't know for I don't know, thumbs up or likes, right? It's so like, okay, if you and I have ridden together, that's fine. I'll I care about what you're doing. But <laughs> if you're just trying to get clicks on the internet, I really don't care what you're doing today on your bike sadly for sure so so i personally have mine set up as open so people can follow me and part of the reason for that is because i've been for me personally how i felt about it is if i'm on a ride somewhere i'll go to a ride in chicago and you know when you ride with someone it'll show up on your typically if you ride enough of the ride together it'll say you rode with that person even if you don't follow them or not or they follow don't follow you and then people will follow me and then i'll be like oh yeah that person followed me I'll follow them back and then um, some or or not, whatever. But at least it somehow like builds my network of people I might ride bikes with. That's sort of my philosophy. But it never had a direct message feature before. For me personally, I kind of feel like, you know, that's fine if people want to message me. But I can see how some people, male or female, especially like younger people, you wouldn't want um, just to start get random. You know, if any of your kids are on Strava, you wouldn't want to necessarily have them starting to get messages from people. So I do think that there's some some opportunity there. But overall, I do think it's a good tool. I do actually feel like I would use this DM tool because there are people that I follow on Strava that they follow me. I follow them. I only know them from rides. I have no idea any of contact information for them whatsoever. And now I don't have to stalk them on Facebook Messenger or somewhere else. I can just send them a message on Strava and say, hey, you got any rides coming up? Or hey, we're doing this ride. You want to come down or whatever? You know, I do feel like there's some value there. I I can see total value for it on like the Tuesday or the Wednesday night group ride. I've got a different set of chats that I'm in. Uh, It's on their text messaging side. So half of us are Android, half of us are iPhone. And sometimes I don't know which Thursday night ride is trying to say, Hey, we're putting a group together <laughs> where we're going. I have to like skim through cause I only have half the phone numbers and who the names are. So if clubs like that can start to establish themselves in Strava and I can get, Hey, it's the Thursday night ride of everyone who's all part of this group come out. We're meeting here and here's the route that would be invaluable. So hopefully that yeah. catches on. Yeah. So hopefully I guess what we're saying is we hope that that is what this is used for and not for creepiness and, unsolicited messages that are not appropriate hopefully that's not what this devolves into right so anything else about strava messages i think we're gonna we gotta roll on we got a bunch of topics all right i was just gonna i was just gonna ask and i'm i answered my own question but there's that share the route feature which i really like and then i was curious if you could share segments or koms but it not at this time it doesn't look like just routes yeah We'll see if they, if they, but you, you know, well, we'll see. So next topic I wanted to bring up and see what you guys think, the chumps think, because we talked about this a few episodes ago when it started to get into what I would call indoor training season. The uh, Wahoo brought out a new, um, that kicker move. And then we talked about the Zwift hub, but just this week, or it was last late last week, Garmin Tasics 
had released their new entry to the market. Have any of you, any of you seen this? The new uh, Tasix 3M. It is somewhat similar to the Move in the sense that it allows for multi, but it allows for multi, um, multi-axis. We'll call it movement, front, back, side to side. It basically takes the the feet where you would normally have a solid base and they're all sort of disconnected and they're almost floating. The whole thing is almost floating on a platform. So as you're moving, it's a lot more free, free movement on the back of your bike. So you're not stuck in one position. Yeah. Like they had that on the, um, the two T or whatever the previous model was like, it was an accessory you could buy similar to how you mm-hmm. could buy the feet uh, yep. for the Wahoo, but it, it definitely had much more movement than the, the original Wahoo feet, right? It's very similar to kind of, yes. it's almost as if they built the feet into the 3M. I think they maybe added a little more lateral movement to it, which wasn't actually mm-hmm. like an intended feature. The unit just kind of had some natural rock to it if you had the um, the original T2 Neo or whatever it was called. So I, I'm all for it. I, I think it's fantastic. I kind of wish these features would have been on it when I bought my original Kicker Core because at the time I think I, I could have bought the, the kicker version five or four was out. I don't even might have mm-hmm. just gotten the feet, but the feet for me weren't really that big of a differentiator between the kicker core and the new one. But now they've got these moves and they've got these lateral sliding bearings. Like I would have definitely probably have paid more at the time uh, to get that unit initially. Uh, Cause I really didn't feel like I was paying an upcharge to get the regular kicker over the kicker core at the time. And now I've invested and built my own rocker plate system. So it's, I'm kind of overboard now. That would just save me a whole lot of effort. So I'm I'm all for these things. I think it's great because I so yeah. So you, I I also think this is a really cool trainer from looking at it. It's the so it's actually the the full name the Garmin Tastics Neo 3M. That's the new one. Indoor smart trainer with built in multi directional movement. So like I said, it it can kind of float and move in both side to side, front to back. It doesn't seem like it has quite as much front to back as that kicker move, but it does seem that it would make your ride a little bit more comfortable because of what we talked about with this moving stuff. But you just said, Chad, that you might pay a little bit extra for that. Does anyone know how much this thing costs? $2,000. Would you pay $2,000 for this? I would. Wow. For- yeah. So when I first messaged you guys, I was talking smack about the price. And mm-hmm. I said a couple weeks ago on the podcast, we got to like, be honest with ourselves we're maybe a little bit more serious than the average chump i think you got to be honest with the type of writer you are if you're truly a chump get the zwift hub one now if you're like us and you're writing well like some of you guys are going to end up with over ten thousand miles for the year if you're that type of writer anything to log more hours or do more time or be more comfortable on the indoor trainer and so I mean, I can't, I don't know off the top of my head what the kicker is going for right now. Um, like the version I have, I have whatever the kicker core, I guess. Um, but I, I would pay the $2,000 for this Neo. Yeah. I mean, it, okay. Orig- originally the kicker core was like 900. I think it's dropped down to 600 since the litigation going on with Zwift and the hub one. So they've reduced it. So it's, it's a heck of a bargain now. Um, but what I like about, I think all of the Garmin, the Neo units anyway, right? The two, the T2 and the new one is if you look at Zwift, it's a game, right? Let's, let's be honest, yep. a game where you're the controller. The one neat thing is I think for the topography, for some of the features mm-hmm. within Zwift, like the, um, well, like the wooden planks or the cobblestone yep. sections you go over, I believe they've got like a feedback 
kind of in the unit where it's sort of yep. I don't want to say it simulates it, but when you're going over cobblestones, it kind of tries to make it feel like cobblestones. When you go over planks, it kind of tries to make it feel like wooden planks for those segments of the game. So why not? I mean, that that to me seems of more value than I, what is it? Um, Wahoo's going. You've got the climb, right, Eric? So a Wahoo tries yep. to give you the elevation. Scene. There's no unit yet that puts both together. That might be the ultimate fun mm-hmm. point. But I think I would I would I would pay for the the Garmin unit just because it has that, and I think the Garmin unit does the best job of faking downhill, if that's correct, right? Doesn't it speed up the rear wheel like uh, rapid could, yeah, going could. downhill, which I don't think any other trainers do, but yeah, I mean, it's another gimmick. Riding your basement is not like riding outside. Let's not try and joke ourselves, but absolutely, if you're going to do two hours in the basement, better make it enjoyable. Or I'm, absolutely, so I'm all for it. now. I fully agree with everything you just said on principle, and I'm not going to ask Randy because he's not going to defend uh, Garmin. He's going to obviously go with Wahoo, but I'll come back to that, Randy. Uh, but Mike, I want to go back to a point you made when we talked about the kicker move. Is that this? direct drive trainer that you're going to hook your bike up to is $2,000. And what you were talking about is that there are these entire bikes that are that price now. So, I mean, it is $2,000 too much, even for someone who rides 10,000 or Ryan, my, on my ride today, I broke 12,000, but you know, is that $2,000? Is that too much for, um, for even someone like us that's riding and putting that kind of miles in? I feel like I need to take one of those internet strong opinion stances. It absolutely is too much. <laughs> You're throwing your money away. No, uh, I I kind of go back in my head to the way Randy's feedback was on his kicker bike. Um, and I would still challenge him and, and wonder if he, he had some issues finding the the exact setup and the, the dimensions and the geo of, of one of his road bikes to to configure that one in the basement to have the same <laughs> seat tube angle and the same, you know, you, saddle height. questioning his um, fit skills. <laughs> I've seen Randy do a lot of crazy stuff, man. But aside from that, uh, let's suppose I was recommending to somebody tomorrow, if they were looking or willing to spend the $2,000, I would totally try to talk them into a full bike, uh, an mm-hmm. indoor specific bike save on the wear and tear and the cassettes and your expendables, whether it's bar tape or anything else that you're sweating on and destroying. Um, that's the way I would go. Um, so Mm -hmm. I, that's, that's my thing. You know, I, I really didn't have a lot of knowledge on the kicker move or see this tactics until tonight. But, um, you know, if my kicker was before the one hub showed up, tactics was where I was leaning towards once my, this mm-hmm. current kicker dies, but yeah, not for two grand. So yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I agree with you because I do really like the look of this, um, Tastics Neo 3M. This thing looks mm-hmm. really cool. When you see the, the way that it works, I feel like it would be extremely comfortable compared to my fixed kicker, even with the, um, climb, like you said, Chad, even I do like the climb that it gives me a little bit different positions, but I feel like the movement on that that Garmin is great. But now I want to ask you, Randy, since you're in with the with the Wahoo crew over there, how I mean, this is different than the Wahoo move because it's multi-directional. It's not just back and forth. But the the move does have the back and forth as well as the built-in axis feet that gives you a little side-to-side lateral movement. 
uh, at least rocking movement, not necessarily side to side. How did Wahoo manage to make theirs $1,600 when the Tasics is $2,000? I mean, that's a big upcharge. If you're even not looking at bikes, Mike, if you're looking at a direct drive trainer, 400 extra dollars on top of the the kicker move that just seems like a lot so how did you guys manage to keep the price so low over there randy here's the thing here's the thing let's be let's be honest here let's be very honest with ourselves look it's all marketing right it's all about features and a la carte right and so what they're trying to sell you what they're trying to sell you is an experience because no matter what they don't what they don't tell you and what we just all agreed upon Riding your bike in the basement sucks. Yep. Period. Yep. Right? They're trying to make it suck less. But by how much? 5%? 6%? I mean, you're not talking – it's not going to sit there and you're going to be like, whoa, this is tolerable by like 80%, right? I mean, you're, you're going to sit there and say a two-hour ride in the basement with no feature on your trainer is awful. A two-hour ride with some features – is still awful just by a little less. Mm-hmm. Okay. Still yep. smaller stick in the So eye. what Right, exactly. So so you know, here here's the thing. So what what tax did is that they're going to sit there and they're trying to sell you this experience where you can have back and forth, side to side, you can hear you can feel the road underneath your underneath your um your you know your your virtual wheels or whatnot and the cobblestones and they're just going to mark it up because they're trying to make you feel like you're going to you it's it's going to be a one to one comparison. So the more features that they can market to you, the higher the cost point that they can try to deliver to you, right? And so I think candidly, you know, Wahoo's selling, you know, Wahoo's selling a level of functionality at a lesser price point because they don't have the same amount of features that Tax does. But tax is this new shiny toy to the market. People are going to be pioneers and, you know, they want to be the first to consume this product. And so what, whenever you can set it to market, you're going to put a premium price tag on it to see what the consumer is willing to pay for it. And if it sits on the shelf, guess what? You're going to get discounts fast. But no matter what, guys, you know, first of all, Ryan, I call BS. You're no way you're going to spend $2,000 on a training. <laughs> I I mean, in virtual world, you may. (laughs) So, so look, at at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, adding the features, putting it to market, putting a price point on it that's embellished off of what they really think they're going to get for it, but they're going to try. They may sell a few units, but eventually that (laughs) that's, that's going to, you're, you're going to see some market equilibrium and you're going to see that price point come down, probably aligned with more of where Wahoo is today. That's my, I think from the Wahoo boardroom. You heard it first here That's on right. Village. I think we're not fr- we're not afraid at Wahoo. There's there's no way they're gonna they're, they're not. We don't even look at them as competitors. <laughs> I, I love the I love this delusional theory that Randy actually works for Wahoo. That's great, but you know fundamentally, I think there are there's the two mechanical differences to the unit. Right, the Wahoo uses an actual mechanical flywheel with a belt drive. Still, I think just like the kicker. Mm-hmm. I think the the, if I recall, the the Texas units do not have a flywheel. They have a virtual flywheel, so I think they, mm-hmm. they use electricity to kind of speed up the the unit. But the deal going right now is the T2, the outgoing model, the Neo. Yeah. Have you seen that? That thing's on sale. I think at nine hundred dollars. Yeah, nine hundred bucks. That's what the original Kicker Core was going for. I think it's one hundred and fifty dollars. You can buy those same feet. So maybe it's not exactly the same as the two thousand dollar new unit, but twelve hundred bucks for pretty darn close to the same thing 
man, if my kicker core died tomorrow, I know exactly what I'm buying. It's that little puppy on sale because I, I think it would be fun to have the kind of the feedback from the fake virtual roads in Zwift because 99.9% .9 of all rides I do on my trainer in the basement are in Zwift. I mean, that's, that's it's yeah. a game. Let's be honest. For sure. So, uh, Crane, uh, Randy is like Kramer when he had that that fake job or when he wasn't getting paid working at that place. <laughs> Not Kramerica Incorporated. Randy's own little uh, right. consulting <laughs> when he gets an intro. He's like, he's like, <laughs> I should I should tell you some insiders at Wahoo are actually fans of the Velochamp podcast and they reached out to me directly. <laughs> I will That's never great. change my stance on Wahoo, and you guys may believe that I'm not actually. You may believe that I'm delusional, <laughs> but you know what? Every time I mention Wahoo, 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 they pay me five dollars. So Wahoo. So I'm going to be Wahooing all the way to the bank. There's another five. Ryan awesome. Kramer awesome. was a character on Seinfeld, a show from the '90s. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, we're going to move on to the next topic. This is more. This has been going around the internet in the bike world a little bit in the last few weeks, and this is not so much to. I don't want to like dwell on all of this, but there is a calculator out there, and if you go to omnicalculator.com, you can actually. Uh, and, and then maybe I'll put this in the show notes. It's a lot. Omnicalculator.com/sports/slash lubricant cost lubricant dash cost holy moly this is long dash two dash run so lubricant cost to run and but the point of this is there's this guy adam kieran from zero friction cycling that he's done massive amounts of testing on chain lubes and what he's testing for is both drivetrain efficiency and wear on the components so what this new calculator does is you can put in the type of terrain you're doing, the group set level you have, the type of lubricant you're using, how many miles you're riding a year. So that's your four easy inputs, and it'll tell you some information. So, for example, if I do mine, if I do mine, I say, okay, mixed conditions road road cycling. We'll call it that because I'll, I will also ride in wet weather, not just dry, right? And then on my group set cost, I'm going to put Dura Ace. And then on the lubricant, I'm going to put Silka Hot Melt because, as you guys know, I did bite the bullet and try the Silka Hot Melt. So let's say I stick with this for all of next year. And what did we say? How many miles I rode this year? 12,000. 12,000. All right. So let's say I have that, right? All right. So what's my results here? Okay. 11,988 miles more than I did. Yeah. So... My total. So this this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna compare mine versus Randy. So what it's telling me is, for if I use Silka Hot Melt, my my cost of using Silka Hot Melt is gonna be two hundred ninety dollars, so approximately three hundred dollars. And how that comes out is that it's saying that over if I use Silka Hot Melt over those twelve thousand miles, it says I'm not gonna wear out an entire chain. So I'm basically going to use, it says 0.77. So I'm going to use like one chain. I'm also not going to wear out a cassette. I'm going to use point, wear out 0.4 cassettes. I'm not going to wear out a chain ring. But I'm also going to have to buy two of the bags of lube, which of the Silka Hot Melt, which comes out to approximately $80. So that's how you add it up. It's like if you, if you amortize, we'll call it the cost of the chain, the cassette, and the chain ring. 
plus the cost of the Silka Hot Melt, it gets me up to about $300. And basically what it's trying to say is by lubricating my chain, now assuming you're doing it right, I'm going to have very, very little drivetrain wear, and I'm not going to have to buy new components. So now let's say we're going to do Randy. I want to do mine. Same same well let's okay yeah. let's do let's do ryan then i was gonna say but I'm not a, your lube we're gonna do your 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 year so you're, you do mixed condition road cycling well, right? i was just gonna say i'm on the cheapest group set of anyone here okay well you're 105 right yeah so we'll say 105 so let's say you do mixed conditions let's say you do 105 what what kind of distance are we gonna put since you're gonna run a lot next year we're gonna do like what four thousand miles or something miles. sure <laughs> <laughs> this year i think i'm at like 6500 all right, so let's say it comes down a little bit, 4,000. So that's a third. Now, who has a candidate for a crap chain lube that no, they want me to put I in know, there? Muck off I want to know what it really C3. is first. Muck off C3 dry. No, we, we don't need it. This is what we're going to do. No, Muck off C3. I have a... No, right. We're going to do this. Yeah. I don't care about... Muck off C3. It's going to feel like you're getting effed. I just want to clarify. <clears throat> I don't use muck off. And okay. then I have a comment to make when we're done with this calculation. So, so now, so I, my inputs was same mixed conditions road cycling, but I had Dura Ace level and I was riding 12,000 miles a year with Silka Hot Melt. Ryan's is Shimano 105 level, only 4,000 miles a year. So are the, um, one third of the miles Total cost to run that exactly the same as if I run Silk Hot Melt for the entire 12,000 miles on my Dura Ace group because it says you're going to go through three and a half chains, 1.67 cassettes, half a chain ring. And of course, you're going to save on your lube because you're only going to need to spend $15 on that crap versus the 80 I spent on the Silka. But ultimately, it's you're spending the same amount. So the point of all that is not to say. Well, it is to say that Muckoff sucks, that, but that wasn't the point of it. The point of all that was to say that your, dry, your lube, I think a lot of people is like, oh, yeah, if I just lube my chain every now and then, that's great. But your chain lube can actually, the type of lube you use and the, you know, diligence you, are, you, you show towards cleaning and lubricating your chain can actually end up having quite a significant cost. And that's why we think as, you know, chumps out there, you should try to take this a little bit seriously just because it can create some sort of financial, you know, it has financial implications if you don't take care of your your bike drivetrain, if you're riding any any kind of uh, reasonable amount of miles. I, Go ahead, Ryan. What's your comment? I was just going to say, and if you use muck off, you have to enter in your routing information to your bank and it actively takes money out of your account. That's how much it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's great. I wish that weren't true because I had all those free samples of the muck off C3 that I was using on my chain. But for the number of times that my chain fell off at Barry Roubaix last year, and I was able to finish the race using Gatorade as my chain lubricant, that was <laughs> that was kind of a sad indictment of that product. And then, I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want Josh Portner's what? What's the oil based one you guys have been synergetic. using? Synergetic. Synergetic. Like I, I don't want to like the synergetic. I really do like that lube. Like it, oh, it's it good. actually keeps the dry. I mean, it gets kind of dirty, but it, boys, it's so quiet on the chain. Well, Much quieter than remember, before. I just did. So I did the calculator using my drivetrain and Synergetic, and it was like one hundred and seventy dollars. Now, yeah, so it's much cheaper to run than the. Um, but then the. Uh, so 
muck off. But what I also don't know is, I mean, so that is under ideal conditions, right? Running just in the one chain, the one cassette. And there is a school of thought that also says if you rotate through, which I guess using wax, this is an ideal candidate. If you rotate through three chains constantly, you'll actually get better wear out of your chain rings and your cassette because the mm -hmm. imperfections in the manufacturing of the chain, you're not always wearing on the same parts. So, you know, potentially you could buy three chains on sale on the internet, maybe not hot wax it and still get possibly the same total cost over time. Again, it, how often are you going to clean the thing, right? That's probably the number one factor. Here yeah, for don't sure. Don't run dirt, which is basically abrasive aggregate into your chain lube and start wearing out your chain pins. That's, that's it, right? So first of all, it doesn't matter what lube you use. It's probably more important. How good is your chain cleaner, right? Clean that first, mm -hmm. then start buying good lube. Those two to in tandem together are probably what are going to save you the most money. Yeah, but I think the reason this is interesting is because the, um, you know, the average bike rider is out not necessarily out here obsessing about chain lube. And have any of you went to Adam Kieran's website, Zero Friction Cycling, and looked at any of the stuff he has on there? It's okay. There is a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> and he is incredibly thorough. I know there's there's people that just absolutely love his site. Um I think he gets so far in the weeds, I sometimes wonder if there's science backing some of the weed chasing, but he's very, very thorough. So very thorough. When he says this chain lasts longer than XYZ, in his environment, in his test, I have no reason to doubt his level of work. Let me put it that way. You you checked out his site too, huh, Mike? I have. It's a little overwhelming. You have to. Yeah, overwhelming. Yep. I, I, w I would only recommend somebody look at it if they're going to read about, you know, maybe a couple lubes that they had in their head that they wanted to investigate or read on. Or if, if you have right. a, a good example, I guess, if, if you hear a synergetic and you say, I want to read about this one. If you maybe you read about it to eliminate it from your list of possible lubes and move on to the next one, that's what I would do. Yeah, that so that site is overwhelming. I think you're right, and I don't think a normal everyday bike rider is going to go on to to that website and read a lot of that. But that was part of the idea behind this um, chain calculator was that you don't have to read all the stuff; you can just sort of play around with it. But what was interesting to me is that just like you said, Chad, I mean, it's chain maintenance and lubrication, not just the lubrication. This is assuming that you're doing the right maintenance and you're cleaning and everything. But I actually reached out to Adam and asked him about this. And he actually wrote back, believe it or not, because what I asked him is, you know, obviously he's extremely into this and very thorough and very interested. And I said, but, you know, most people are not interested in this. And why do you think that is? Because it is when you're bu you buy a bike. And then if you're not, so go, I'm going to take a step back, Chad. If you decide you're not going to um, maintain and clean and lubricate your drivetrain, and at the same time, you're not taking it in for service, what's going to happen to your bike riding experience? Well, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be unhappy with it, right? Because it's, mm -hmm. it's going to be off. Things are going to go off in that nature. I, I would definitely also have to say in the middle of COVID when chains were expensive and rare and I could find chain cleaner at the bike shop, I was obsessively cleaning my chain. Now I'm like, yeah. I can find a chain pretty cheap on the internet. I'm not nearly as diligent. Let's be honest. But yeah, but I guess the point is if you're, if you're letting your chair chain wear down and you're not maintaining it and it does wear, you're shifting, getting, get, get 
poor. Yeah. And then you have a bad shifting ex- or bad bike riding experience. You, you know, you're going down the road, you're clicking the button. It's not doing anything for you. You're upset. It's, you know, taking a four or five rotations before it shifts down to the next cog, which when you're going up a hill is irritating, you know, so it can really affect your bike riding experience. So not only you can either have a terrible bike riding or a, at least a worse bike riding experience. And then eventually you're going to have to spend money replacing these things prematurely that you wouldn't have to spend. But I asked him about that. I said, how come people aren't interested in this topic? Why aren't people more, you know, you know, trying to find out how should they maintain their chain and lubricate their chain? And he was basically like, look, first of all, if you think about someone's car, they're getting service intervals recommended by the manufacturer and by the dealer and in some cases if you don't follow those intervals you're going to avoid some sort of warranty so people are much more just aware that that sort of thing is important another thing he said is that there's a complacency on the lifespans and what he means by that is a lot of times people just go in for their annual checkup at their bike shop and then the bike shop's like yep you need new chain rings and new cassettes and they're like yeah that's what happens every year oh well i guess i just plan on getting a new chain rings and a new cassette every year versus taking the time to understand that that doesn't have to be the case. And then the last thing he said, well, not the last thing, but one of the main things he said is it's not really an interesting topic. Obviously for him it is because he's written, you know, novel length, you know, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, novel length diatribes about, you know, chain lube. But for most people, it's not interesting. So he's not, he's like, people aren't just going to research this stuff for fun. So there's a lot going against it, you know, where you're not going to have people necessarily into this. So what I'm just trying to say is, like I said, I'll figure out a way to put this in the show notes. I think it's really important that you just sort of play around with this calculator just to see what are the impacts on chain wear and drivetrain wear and potential replacement costs if you use different lubes just for the sense of understanding that it is something you should pay a little bit of attention to. Chain, you know, anyone that has a bike, chain lube, chain maintenance is extremely important. We've talked about this before, but I think if you go to this, it's interesting if you go to this calculator, you can sort of get a little bit more direct context into the meaning of like how meaningful it can be. Uh, you know, it, it kind of raises the point. Why, you know, Shimano has gone to great lengths to, environmentally package much of their content now right if you get new rotors yep. or new chain or anything it comes in recyclable yep. brown paper packaging things of that nature I, i'm almost i don't understand why they don't really sell their own chain lube or their own chain cleaners that they would tout as environmentally friendly give you service intervals and say hey use this once a mm-hmm. week in your chain and you could make the argument well they just want to sell you a new chain instead of cleaners but i would argue for some of the markup on some of these cleaners, some of these chain lubes, they could probably make back more of the margin, let's say, just having you maintain the drivetrain products. And by the way, at the end of the day, it's it's probably better to use these, you know, biologically environmentally friendly cleaners on mm-hmm. and they constantly throw away a chain. Um, so I don't know really why maybe the big manufacturers of said products aren't maybe having these things at bike shops. I would assume these are pretty good turnover for a bike shop, pretty good margin for everyone involved in the supply chain. And hey, by by the way, maybe it's one less chain a year you're throwing away off your bike. So it seems like a win-win for everyone here. Yep. Why why is this part of the market gone to, you know, folks like Josh Portner and others who are selling their, 
various products. It does seem kind of odd. Um, maybe it's a logistics thing or handling of chemicals. I'm not quite sure why uh, the bike OEs don't get into this segment of the market, but maybe we're one month away from the next announcement from SRAM. I have no idea, but uh, that's well, I mean, struck me as a bit Shimano off. sells Shimano sells their own mineral oil for the brake brake fluid. So, I mean, you'd think that they could sell cleaner. You know what I mean? I, I that's a good know. point, Chad. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, if you're like, like, honestly, my dad, he's getting his chain rings and, and cassette changed all the time. And I'm like, your stuff shouldn't be, first of all, it shouldn't be wearing out that fast. And then if even, you know, I, I don't know, I just feel like that is wasteful in the sense that you're, you know, these things are not, they're probably, first of all, not even easily recycled. It's probably just going to the trash, a chain, a dirt, you know, a dirty, greasy yeah. chain. So, I mean, this is, it's, you're right. That's a great point. It's not environmentally or it's not sustainable if you're just throwing these things away all the time because you're not taking care of them. And I think that's a good point. Why the, especially, well, I mean, maybe SRAM's a different case, but I mean, how much is a, I mean, you know, Dura-Ace cassettes are expensive, but like an Ultegra label, level cassette is what, like, you can get them for like 60 bucks, huh, Chad? I mean, how much is a, a Force cassettes are even pretty expensive these days? You're looking days? at like 130 I think, for the Rival, and mm -hmm. you can get the Force ones on sale for like 130 140 Yeah, but I mean, that's a lot of money if you're just like blowing through a cassette instead of yeah. taking the time. Not only it's a lot of money for you, but then it's a lot of... Uh, um, you know, like it's waste, like like Chad was yeah. saying. Yeah, in most cases, two to three times what you pay for a chain is probably what they're going to charge you for equivalent cassette. Then the thing we all keep forgetting about is, you know, you put on a new cassette, you put on a second new cassette, you probably do need new chain rings at this point. If you've ever looked at chain rings for, you know, higher end Durace chain rings are probably around three hundred dollars for a set, and I don't even know what SRAM's charging now that the two chain rings, like on what Force and Red, are now one one piece held together so when you replace the small ring or the big ring you got to replace both so i mean the cost of those components are not inconsequential you think they would want to sell you value-added products at the shop in order to prolong the life of said things on your bike but you know what do i yeah i don't know but anyway the point is if you're out there riding your bike and you're not taking care of your chain just check out this calculator we'll put the in the uh, link in the show notes so you can get a sense for yourself of how much extra money you could save if you just do a little bit of um, chain cleaning, lubrication, maintenance, whatnot. Yeah. Pro tip, if that sounds too excessive to do those things, just don't ride your bike and you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah so you probably haven't had to lube your chain in like six months, man. I, I subscribe to that philosophy. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's one way to look I, at I, it. I will say one little interesting tidbit there is <clears> – <throat> If, if you expect to get X amount of miles out of your cassette, let's call it 4,000 miles, the problem is is that you spend a, a large majority of your time in one or two cogs, and you will wear through those cogs. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what I did on my, my Athos when I had it. It was brand new, and sure enough, it was the cog that bridges you know, like 18 to 22 miles per hour, and that's where we spend most of our time. So, well, yeah. Don't assume that everybody lives in the Flatlandia Midwest out here. I mean, there are some, I mean, believe it or not, Mike, believe it or not. I was in Pittsburgh this last weekend visiting my family and I did go for a bike ride. Believe it or not, Mike, I used the little ring. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure there would still be a cluster of cogs that are used more often than the others, right? But yeah, I'm sure that applies 99% of the time to uh, flatland. I mean, for us, it's yeah. definitely much worse. For us, it's for sure there. There is a uh, you know, 
probably the certain because certain cogs are wearing down much much faster than others absolutely so all right so that was sort of the news roundup of new cool things out there that are chump relevant we did have a listener question and i wanted to hear um chad lucker's opinion on this because he is the bike historian and he would have the best insight to this, but I would love to hear if any of the rest of you want to throw this in. But we had a listener saying that their friend has a 15-ish year old. I can't remember the exact number, but it was like a 15-year-old, 15-ish year old um, titanium road bike frame. Obviously, this is a uh, rim brake, you know, 130 hub, rear hub type of spacing. Um they wanted to put electronic modern shifting on it. That was sort of what they wanted to do. They wanted to rejuvenate this bike and see what they could do. And they were interested in what was the best option? What was the best way to take that old frame and put new fancy electronic shifting on that bike? So Chad, I'm going to throw it to you. What do you think? Well, 15 years old. So, this is probably not um, an option here, but if it, if it had the ports for DI2, that would be probably my first push for it. Um, reason mm-hmm. being, if you put the Shimano on the bike, you don't really need uh, to upgrade the rear cassette with the brand newest stuff that's available on the market right now. But mm-hmm. I'm going to assume here at this point, we do not have DI2 or electronic ports in this frame. So they're probably running some version of mechanical shift. Do I know? Do we know what's on the bike now? Like Claire? No, I do not know, but I'm assuming that they're running uh, mechanical something. We're going to assume it's mechanical Altegra or red or, or, or Dura-Ace. My choice for what I would probably want to put on this bike is probably if I could find it, because you're not going to find it new. Um, at least not all the parts new would be 11 speed red e-tap the first mm-hmm. um, you could probably you to be honest you could probably mm-hmm. even hodgepodge it with whatever brakes are on the bike now the pull ratios won't be the same um, whether if you're running campy or, or shimano brakes on it versus like a tectro or even a red brake but it, they'll work you can kind of make them work so you, you would need to find the shifters you can find a lot of the mini groups i, I look at this on ebay so I think you can find the derailers and the batteries with the shifters, usually for somewhere. They're kind of asking a lot, like around 1500 bucks, but you could find that and probably put together a full functioning 11-speed group under the assumption that the bike has um, a Shimano free hub in the back that can accept an 11-speed cassette. If you, mm-hmm. if you told me the bike is 9 or 10-speed, we're still not out of options yet because I have used – you'd have to Google it on the internet. There is a guy up like in Calgary, Canada. I have sent – 11 speed cassettes to before and he will machine out part of the back mm-hmm. 1.85 millimeters off of it if you have an 1128 cassette or whatnot and you can retrofit that onto like a 10 speed hub i've done that in the past so i'd say from straight economics without buying newest stuff if he could find shram red etap 11 speed with the rim brake shifters that's the way to go um if he actually you could actually build almost a totally brand new version of that group set today um, but you do have to get the front derailleur. That's the only mm-hmm. part that SRAM doesn't sell. So I think the current modern force red, and I think they still sell a version of the 11 speed ETAP long cage rear derailleur brand new. The only part they don't sell brand new today is the front derailleur. So you still kind of need that. And it, it goes for a premium on eBay, but 
you had all that put together, you had an old cable shift titanium bike, you could make it basically shift 11 speed goodness. Um, there's nothing, there's no reason why you couldn't go to the 12 speed uh, SRAM setup today, but you would have to probably lace a new free hub in the rear wheel to run XDR. Well, assuming that they would be happy to get new deep section carbon wheels as well. Yeah then that would also be an option, right? Yeah. If you, I think, I don't know how much longer they're going to sell it for. I, it's getting harder and harder to find. I'm not aware that it's been fully discontinued, but either the Force or the Red rim brake shifters, and you could probably run Force or Red, maybe even the Rival, the 12-speed ETAP access stuff, uh, like mm-hmm. the new set of wheels. Yeah, you could have the latest latest drivetrain out there. You could even buy new brakes if you want to, but I, I mean, at, at some point, there is probably diminishing returns here, unless there's a sentimental value to the titanium frame, but... Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to spend more on the group set than maybe you've invested in the bike over the last you know, 15 <laughs> years. But so, yeah. So basically, if you want to reuse the wheels, you're going with the um, red 11 speed ETAP. If you're fine with getting new wheels, you could go with a 12 speed SRAM axis axis setup somewhere, the rim brake. And then the, the wild and crazy option is if you wanted to go with um, Shimano. 11 speed say 9100 yeah. durace well you could even i mean if you had the di2 ports in the frame from original di2 or even the updated what the first 10 speed or 11 speed you mm-hmm. could actually run the 12 speed right because the the port yeah. the port use is the same you still no but you there's you can't run 12 speed rim can you yeah yeah because 12, oh yeah 12 speed and 11 speed hg body are the same uh, there's no di- actually. I mean, if you really wanted to bodge, you could probably zip tie the wires to the outside of the tubes, which is what we used to do yeah. with Shimano. I just don't know if 12 speed will let you find the external battery pack that the original in the early days of DI2, the battery pack could actually bolt to one of the water bottle cage bosses, and you had this weird square battery that sat down there. I don't even know if that's an option anymore uh, to be had, especially with a new 12 speed group. Maybe you can still find it for the old 11 speed group for tri bikes or something of that nature. So, but I just think it looks unsightly and you've got all these wires hanging off the outside of your bike. So in this case, while I'm not the greatest proponent of SRAM in the world, I think for a clean install, SRAM is probably the way to go with a rim brake, um, yeah. electronic setup. Yeah. So, so DI2 would require either exposed cables, wires, or wires, yeah. exposed wires that you, like you said, zip tie to the frame, which if you have a titanium frame, like you said, the, probably the aesthetics are important to you, and that's probably a deal breaker. Yeah. Or this is probably also a deal breaker if you have a titanium frame. You're going to drill holes in the frame to allow the the wires to go in and out through the frame, which I can't, I'm not going to. doesn't sound like a great I'm idea not, to me. I'm not going to endorse that because if you hit, if you don't get, <laughs> in the, if you don't get it in the, the correct part of the budding of the tubing, Number one, yep. you're going to have a structural issue, and two, I yep. think a lot of times after you've after you drill the hole, you kind of want to uh, clean up that hole, and in many mm-hmm. cases, you're actually going to want to reinforce it with like a boss or some brass. I don't actually know what you do for titanium. I don't know if you could put a little bit of extra weld material because you you don't want where you just put Correct. that weld hole end up to crack propagate over time. So again, I I'm, I'm not going to encourage drilling holes in a frame when we have options to put electronic shifting on a bike without doing that now. So again, I'm going to go back to Tram. Yep. So Chad, what Thanks, about Chad. the archer? What, what about the archer system? <laughs> what is the archer system? I'm afraid now. Oh. You don't know. I. You don't know what that archer I, is? Yeah, Mike. Go ahead. It's a real system. Yeah, it's it's a uh, wireless setup. It basically 
has a small mechanism at the rear of the bike by the um, derailleur. So it uses your um, your derailleurs, but it has different shifters, and the shifters are electronic. But the derailleur is still uses a cable, and it goes into it's a it's a battery controlled mechanism, and it basically it moves the cable accordingly. The cool thing about the Archer system is that you tell it how many gears you have. Uh, so even if you if you had a, I think it even works with eleven speed derailleurs, it'll actually work with 11, twelve speed cassettes on that same derailleur because it's just changing how much it's pulling. Um, and then you you individually set up each gear, so you could actually do it with a bent derailleur hanger. Uh, so as you as you go to shift to gear number two, if it's not perfect, you can make a you know a micro adjustment to the left or to the right, and then you say next gear and you move it over. So it's cool. What I didn't like about that one, Randy, is uh, I think they were still coming out with the with the shifter buttons for it because I know they they started in the mountain bike world with that, but their road bike setup I think was lacking. So we've got. <laughs> We've got both the downside of a dead battery, and you can still fray a cable. Yeah. Plus, but, if you probably want, to, and it probably doesn't look great. And if you want to run a modern chain, you probably do need to switch out the jockey wheels. I would assume the pulley wheels on the rear derailleur in many cases in order to get a smooth transition of the chain up and down the cassette. I don't know about that, but you're using you're using whatever derailleur you want. So right, but you're talking. You can't use a 12 speed cassette oh, oh. with an 11 speed pulley yeah. wheels because you need a 12 speed chain on a 12 speed cassette. You can't run an 11 speed chain on a 12 yeah. speed cassette. Uh, well, and might- this might have been this might have been from the the mountain bike world when I was reading that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But point being is, it's just utilizing your existing one. It actually doesn't look yeah. too ugly. Um, and I actually thought it was pretty cool. It's to me, it's cool, Chad, because um that that cable that you've got is so short it's not going through a super long uh you know cable hose or housing back to your to your shifters up front so it it might only be like what eight or ten inches long so it's a lot easier to keep clean and replace and it's not going through bends and that sort of thing but after you replace the cable which will probably where over time you probably have to recalibrate the whole system i would assume yeah now you but it, it looks from the videos that i've seen it looks like the easiest thing to set up and calibrate so i mean chad if we're talking about this archer system why don't we just throw mavic mectronic on the table i'm not there <laughs> i'm i'm gonna say we're probably looking for the most rational system here for a 15 minute <laughs> I'm still going to vote with let's go look on the internet. Let's go hit eBay. Let's find 11 speed ready tap. I think that's probably the there we go. economical way to go. We can probably <laughs> find chain rings for whatever crank this person is running on their bike. We're going to have the best benefit of fitting a cassette in the back and not, we're not going to have to tear apart this whole bike to re- reinvent the wheel here. Let's, let's go with oh, man. that. I, I, I'm All totally right. on board with Randy looking into the Archer setup at this point. <laughs> All right, you guys, you guys try that out for the next long ride we do. This is a win for me that I actually brought something up that Chad was yeah, not aware I'm, of. That is the, the Archer that's stuff. Monumental. The Archer stuff has been around a long time, Chad. I'm really shocked that you haven't heard about it or watched anything on it. Have you ever seen anybody have it on their bike? Nope. I mean, <laughs> of course, there's a lot of stuff that I've never seen on anybody's bike. So, yeah. I don't. It's true. Not that, 
but not the Richie grips on a down on a on a road bike. Yeah. Now we've seen the Richie grips. The on Richie gravel grips on a road bike. Yeah, Chad hasn't seen that, that yet. Sadly. Okay. We we have. Don't knock them till you try them. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm not gonna try them. So. All right. You want to talk about your other topic, Chad? See if we can squeeze it in. Yeah. We'll see if we can't squeeze it in. So. All right. So I, I was listening to another another podcast. I can't remember which one it was, but we were talking about kind of the switch over with the with the teams and the seasons, the contractual obligations. And I think the comment was made that Shimano teams don't always run Shimano wheels because they want the option to run maybe a better set of wheels or what they find to be a superior set of wheels because there was, I don't know, maybe an innuendo or a kerfuffle or something that Shimano wheels weren't any good. So I got to think about this one. Okay, maybe, maybe that's legitimate. Maybe that's true. And then I got to thinking about the teams that run Shimano. And then I was just thinking, oh, there's been a couple of pretty big races this year that have actually been won on Shimano wheels. Um, so I think if we go back two years um, for Jonas's first win under Jumbo Visma. Weren't they Shimano at the time when they run the Tour de France? Were they not? I believe so, yes. I think they were. Yes. So they would have been on Shimano wheels then. But even if you want to come to just this year, I'm like, doesn't Matthew Vanderpool run Shimano wheels and hasn't he won a couple of big races? And isn't he currently in the rainbow Jersey on Shimano wheels of all things? Cause I think the Alpecin team runs the full Shimano kit. So yep, they do. I was just trying to figure out, is there, how much better would he have done than winning the world? Well, if he didn't have Shimano well, wheels? Chad, <laughs> well, well, Chad, there is the possibility that he wouldn't have slid out and crashed if he would have had different wheel set on and, not made it as interesting. Maybe he would have won by more without crashing. <laughs> That's possible. Um, but so, but I do, I do want to caution. I do want to caution against using professional results as an endorsement for equipment. Yeah, but, because you know, I'm guessing that the type of races that Matthew Vanderpool won this year had little to do with his equipment and a lot to do with Matthew Vanderpool. That's my take on that particular thing but you know maybe you guys have a different opinion if if uh you know that's what made him win or not but you know i i think probably in the current modern era so i mean clearly when we were making the initial transition from aluminum box rims whatever you want to call that uh to the early days of carbon fiber really the design of the carbon fiber rim the problem was heat dissipation from the brake pad so trying to yep. trying to keep that epoxy resin from breaking down on long descents etc that was a huge barrier to overcome. So now that we've come into kind of the modern era and discs have taken over, I really think that's been almost a detriment for Zip because it really mm -hmm. people who don't have that level of technology with epoxy and heat dissipation. Really, now all you have to do is build a rim that's tubeless compatible, that has some ability to take curb impact. And I, to be honest, the aerodynamic efficiency gains of the modern carbon rim that's going to be pretty easy to copy once somebody makes a really good rim, right? Just take, just take that design and go right in the wind tunnel and copy it flat out. So whether it's dimples or the shaping profile or whatnot, there's no kind of magic hidden there, right? Because it's all going to kind of be in the geometry. So I really think sort of any Delta that's in a carbon rim today is, is probably pretty well mitigated between most of the brands. If you want to steal that IP and that technology. So I'm not sure that you're buying the latest carbon rim today in order to get the peak level of, Aerodynamic yeah. efficiency. I mean, it might be there to a small bit, but I I think probably it was bigger deal back in the rim break day era than it is right now. Um, for my money. Well, I agree with that that it was definitely bigger in the rim break era. But I would also say this: 
when you have a team like Ineos, for example, that has a lot of money and they spend a lot on R and D, and they their their whole concept was marginal gains, and they were running Shimano, and they basically have enough clout that they have some sort of agreement in their contract with Shimano that if they have components that they can show or that they believe or something that are demonstrably better than Shimano's components, they're allowed to run them, even though they're sponsored by Shimano. And they famously will be running Princeton Carbon Works, for example, that they believe through whatever research into the marginal gains they have, that they are superior to the Shimano offering. And they're, you know, Ghana's running those wheels and TTs and things of that nature. So I would suspect that these pro teams that have the resources, you look at Jumbo Visma, you look at Ineos, you know, maybe even um, who would be the next big, I don't even know. Those are the two big money teams, right? So if you look at like Jumbo and Ineos, I mean, they are making equipment choices that they believe are giving them gains. I mean, to your point, Jumbo switched to SRAM, but they're not running zip wheels, right? No, but so, they are running the wheel from their frame manufacturer. So I... I do take the view that it, it probably is just as much an economic sponsorship incentive factor where if I don't have to run Shimano wheels, maybe I can get a couple more bucks by running another group wheel. And I'm not saying that yeah, for sure, works for somebody else isn't. Yeah, I was going to say in Ineos's case. <laughs> uh, um, but I don't, is Ineos an actual Shimano team or do they just buy their own group sets and they're actually. No, I believe they're sponsored. I believe they're one of the sponsored teams. I don't, I don't actually follow all that down the list, but I, I would assume that there are quite a few teams that probably have the wheel sponsor they have because it, I mean, it helps keep the team going, right? Yeah, and and I also believe Quickstep is sponsored by Shimano. And, of course, they're running Rovals, which is the specialized wheel. But, you know, um, they... I assume that they're getting pressure to run Roval from specialized. But, you know, that but they are running pro components, on quick step. They're not running the Roval Rapide components, for example, on their um, you know, the 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 cockpit and and you know, stems and bars whatever they're depending on the the um bike they're on or at least they weren't. Maybe they are with the SL uh, SL8 now. They're maybe they're running that new cockpit, but for but they're running pro for a long time. So they obviously had the capability to run the they, they had enough clout they could run what they wanted. They didn't have to take the Roval, but they did take the Roval wheels instead of the Shimano wheels. So I guess someone somewhere felt that there was a benefit to running those wheels versus the Shimano ones. And I'd suspect what you're saying, Chad, is that it is very marginal. If someone gave me a set of Dura Ace wheels for free, I'm not going to say, nah, these are no good. I'm going to go get my own uh, Rovals or my own Prince and Carbon Works. Absolutely not. I'm sure those wheels are right up there with them. But I can't tend to think that these these pro teams are doing enough research to feel that that is giving them an advantage. And especially the reason I would say that the psyche of the riders, a lot of these riders are like us and they feel like, hey, if this, if this wheel is going to get me a few more seconds, that's what I want to run. And even if it's just for the psyche of the riders, if the riders feel like, hey, this wheel is better, that's what I want to run, then, of course, that that gives the team some sort of advantage if they run them. If, if any sponsors out there want to give me a set of carbon wheels and thus get me booted off this <laughs> podcast because now I'm an insider, <laughs> that's a burden I might have to bear. So, we'll <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, I will also run any, any set of carbon wheels that any manufacturer out there wants to send me. I will... In my in our neighborhood, I will run them and tell everybody 
how much faster I am <laughs> now that I have these carbon wheels that that sponsor just sent me. <laughs> Absolutely. I will spread that message. <laughs> I don't. All right. I don't want to. We'll just leave that alone. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, good night, everyone. I'm out of here. Yeah, we're kind of off the rails here. All right. All right. Bye. All right. Good job, guys. Adios. Good show. Good show. Good talk. Later. So you may have noticed it's taken a little bit longer than normal between episodes, and that's because we are deep into the holiday season, and unfortunately, the chumps have a lot going on in their lives. So we also, you may have also noticed that we did not have a factoid at the end of this show, and that's because this week the fact is we want to say we are very appreciative of all the listeners out there that stuck with us this far and made it to the end of 2023. This will be the final episode of 2023. We are going to take a week off from producing a show, and we will be back better than ever starting in the new year in January of 2024. So until then, the Chumps again want to thank everyone out there for listening to the show, for telling your friends, for liking and subscribing, all the things we ask you to do every show, and we know you're out there doing it, so we appreciate that. Everyone out there, all the listeners, have a great holiday season. Have a happy new year, and we will see you on the other side. Hey, have you even been listening to what I've been saying? I've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes.